0: Okay, well, I think we should get into this because this, yeah, is... this is this is
1: quite a uh, an episode. We're talking about uh, erogative zones. Is that a central yeah,
0: Something like that. Yeah. I, Ryan, you didn't even get that word right. Isn't it erogenous? Is that what <laughs> that was talking? a
1: joke, Mike. That was a joke. I, I know. Oh.
0: Well, the word you're going for is ergative, I think. Um, er,
1: are these ergative? Oh, that doesn't, that, that's yeah, there's not no as funny oh. as before.
0: That's just, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I kind of
1: stuck. We can We can you. cut that joke then. Ergative? Let's go with I like the joke. Ergative okay. zones. Ergative zones.
0: <laughs> zone. Well, that's the title of the episode now. <laughs> Ergative zones. <laughs> um yeah, and I didn't know what that word meant. Ergative. I mean not erogenous. Um, I didn't know what it meant until today. I still am slightly unclear on it. Um, it's not a not a term you'll see bandied about even in the stuffy environs of reference books, you know. Um, but I think that we can tease out something that while obscure will still be instructive for anyone who writes, um, and especially those who do it professionally. Um, so let me wade into this, Ryan, by asking you to listen to these four sentences. And then I want you to tell me which one, if any of these, kind of clang or don't you know just don't sound right to you don't sound natural um so here they are first one is ryan's ultima handled beautifully which is true by the way ryan really did have a nissan ultima that
1: was a beautiful car um,
0: actually i don't know if it handled beautifully or not i never drove maybe it, it i did no i well. did i drove it yeah. i drove it a time but there's a time. reason why we didn't let you drive it as we've discussed <laughs> yeah we just found out why it's all <laughs> yeah um because i can't reverse very well it's Still a problem. Going backwards. Things come at you. So that's sentence number one. Ryan's Ultima handled beautifully. The second sentence. The topping crumbles readily. The third sentence. Mike smelled incredibly bad after hockey. That's also generally true. Uh, And the fourth sentence is. The cider drinks crisp and dry. So do any of those sound unnatural to you, Ryan?
1: The, the cider drinks crisp and dry. Okay. Sounds Can unnatural.
0: You, and it's just one of those instinctive, or I guess we could say idiomatic things for you where it's just, that's just your, without thinking about it, that's your reaction is that that one sounds weird. Something sounds slightly off about it, right? Yes. Okay, good. Because these are all basically the same kind of sentence, um, I mean, the the information they convey is pretty different. You know, one's about a car and how it handles. One's about a a crumbly topping to a, a you know a custard or cake or pie or something. One's about how I don't smell good after hockey. One's about uh, the experience of drinking a kind of cider. So the the what they're telling you is is pretty different. But they're all the kind the kind of sentence the kind of voice in particular is all basically the same here. And it's what's called the third way voice or the third voice. Uh, You'll see this referred to differently um, across reference books or by different sources. But the the basic idea here is that really this is neither the active nor the passive voice. It's a third kind of voice. Um, And that itself is going to take just a little teasing out. So let me back up just a second here uh, to define some terms. Um, I think I think we and our audience uh, for Red Pen probably has a pretty good idea of what active and passive voice are. But just to go over that quickly, the active voice is simple, more basic declarative um, type of sentence. The subject is doing the acting upon an object. So Ryan drove a Nissan Altima just nice active voice. You got Ryan is the subject. He drove. That's the verb, the Nissan Altima. There is the object. Uh, there's the passive voice, which is kind of the, 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 inverse of this where the subject of the sentence is actually the recipient of the action. So to stick with our example here, the Altima was driven. Um, and one one clue you have that that's the passive voice is that you need those auxiliary verbs like was um, in there for this to to scan. The Ultima was driven. You know, it's a there's a helping verb and then an inflected form of the the verb to drive. Um, and the the actor, the person doing the action here is obscured unless we have additional info in that sentence. So we could say the ultimo was driven by Ryan. So now we have the the subject of the sentence is still the ultima, but it's not the thing doing the acting. Ryan is actually the actor. And now we need that that clause with the word by in it to tell us that he's the one doing the acting. So that's your passive setup. Now, what I'm suggesting here, um, you know, the, the the thrust of this episode is the medio passive. The medio passive. thank you, Ryan. Yeah, that's the that's like
1: a new grinder term, and um, you know, I'm it's medio really passive. good, isn't it? I mean,
0: I, <laughs> I kind of I learned that word, you know, less than twenty four hours ago, and I kind of love it. So you yeah, use it all should, the time. Now we should figure out other other. You're concepts being so
1: mediopassive like... <laughs> aggressive, Mike.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like passive aggressive, but kind of being mid about it. Like, yeah, I like it too. Um, so that that's the kind of wonky, dorky, you know grammar, grammar, nerd term for this would be the medio passive voice. You might see it called the middle voice. Um, my, my man, Brian Garner calls it the third way. Um, and he characterizes this as active in form, but passive in sense. And the sentence here to stick to our Ultima example, uh, might be something like the Altima drives beautifully. Um, And the reason that's neither truly active nor truly passive is that you have the subject there, which is the Ultima, the car, and you have a verb that's in this active sounding voice, drives. The Ultima is the thing that the sentence would have us believe is doing the driving, but it's not really, the the car isn't driving here. I mean, the car is the thing being driven and the sentence we have, the Ultima drives beautifully kind of delivers information about the experience of driving the nissan ultima
1: yes, stuck in
0: This kind of verb that can function in all three ways, active, passive, or mediopassive passive or third way. Um, a verb that can do all those things is called ergative. Uh, that's that term that, that Ryan likes so much that we started the show uh, uh, riffing on. Um, and this, this is E-R-G-A-T-I-V-E, ergative. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, again, this was, this term was completely new to me. I mean, this is really deep in the weeds when you're, you're finding terms like that, but it comes from, uh, or ergate, which is an ant of one of the worker casts. So ergative by extension kind of means working or multifunctional, I think is the idea as it applies to grammar. Um, so to give you an example of something, another example of of a verb that could be, uh, or that is an ergative verb. Uh, the, the verb break as in the following so we have Amanda broke the window that's active we have the window was broken by Amanda that's passive or we have simply the window broke and that's that medio passive voice the third voice kind of in between active and passive I think that's why they call it the middle voice it's it's sort of Borrows, I think that's why, Mike, I think. Right. It yeah. just hit me. Just hit me A <laughs> <laughs> little slow on the Whoa. grammatical uptake today. I know. Okay. That's embarrassing. But yeah. it's, a very, it it's a ver- I call the- it
1: a verse <laughs> verb. It's a verse <laughs> verb. Yeah.
0: A verse verb. Um, so that, that middle way is borrowing some elements from the active and some from the passive. The overall sort of sense is passive, but the form is active. Yeah. I think we've defined this nicely.
1: Absent of blame is what I like.
0: Yeah, it obscures the actor who you could pin blame on. Um, I like
1: I like pinning blame, so this, this to me just doesn't. I don't know when I'm going to use it, but
0: well, I mean, I th- I think that's you're you're joking, but I think there is something kind of important in what you just said, which is that I, I there are exceptions to this, which we'll get to, but I think in general you want to strive for the most active formulations you can. Um, both because they're clearer in terms of who is doing what to whom or to what. Um, but also because I mean you, the verbs you use are stronger with active voice. I mean, you don't need all these little auxiliary verbs that are always just, they're always just, um, conjugations of to be, you know, the window was broken or had been broken. Um, and that kind of just gums up the works. I mean, the, if you're striving for the the greatest clarity and the greatest emphasis possible then you want to stick to the active voice to the greatest extent possible i think um so it is important there there's something instructive there i think just in terms of which formulation you go with um for the the majority of cases i think being as active in voice as possible is generally and uh, there's always exceptions, but generally that's the thing to strive for, I think. Um, but anyway, to get back to this middle voice, this medio passive, um, that really is fun to say. Uh, there are a couple characteristics of this that I think are important to note just really quickly before we move on. One is that the use is always intransitive, which means when you're in this voice, you're never using the verb in a way that takes a direct object. So again, to go back to our our list of examples, Ryan's car handled beautifully. The car can't handle anything else. The the handle there is just being used intransitively. No object. If the the car handled everything you threw at it, that's a different type of sentence. You know, Ryan's Ultima handles all comers. Ryan's Ultima handles, you know, um, if it's handling something, it's no longer in this voice. Same goes for... All of these sentences. Like if you're saying Mike smells bad, that use of smell is intransitive. It's different from saying, um, you know, Mike smelled his hockey gloves and threw up. Uh, that there is smell in a transitive sense. I was smelling my hockey gloves, which again I want to stress are disgusting.
1: Yeah, the way that lean, and you it's so fresh and clean. Smells like trouble
0: to me. So it's all, this middle voice use, mediopassive, is always intransitive. Uh, and the actor is always removed entirely from the picture. Um, when you say the window broke, that tells us absolutely nothing about who did the breaking. It just tells you what broke. Uh, so the thing that's functioning is the subject in that sentence, the window. It's actually kind of like an object masquerading as a subject. Uh, that might be how you could think of this voice I really only consulted three sources for this one being garner my main man uh, and then the others being there's a language log post that's the University of Pennsylvania's language log uh, from 20 January of 2016 uh, and then there was a mental floss article from a month later February of 2016 uh, that kind of built on the language log post um, and All of that was, it was set into motion by the particular use of a verb on Top Chef with Padma Lakshmi. Um, And that was that, I guess she said uh, of a dish that it eats salty, Um, which I think maybe we've gotten used to by now. Maybe that doesn't strike us as clangy. um, No, it's not
1: clangy. It's cool.
0: It's cool to talk that way, you know. Wait, yeah. I mean, and again, we'll we'll get back to this, but I think Ryan, you're pointing out that it's kind of trendy sounding. Yeah, or... it's
1: trend- it's like that's very. I mean, that to me just like reeks of like natural wine tasting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yes. I was
0: going to say food. I think food and wine, and maybe yeah. especially wine, lend themselves to to these uses, and then we can see these uses as being kind of newfangled and a little strange at first, but. Maybe by now, you know, seven years after um, after the, the contestants on Top Chef, the had Top their, Chef incident. Yeah, after the yeah after yeah. Top Chef, Gabe. the
1: Brian Garner calls the Top <laughs> Chef incident.
0: <laughs> right. Um, I, I think they're, I think we've become accustomed to that kind of use, to at least to a degree. It doesn't clang the way it did in 2016, maybe, and at, at the time that it launched, all these takes online. Uh, from grammarians and, and word watchers. Okay, so so after that comes up on top, on top Chef, you have these articles come out. And if you look at these sources, um, you can start to tease out what kinds of verbs the, the authors of reference materials like this and articles like this think can be used in this way. Um, Brian Garner says, generally, broadly speaking, verbs like this convey a change in state Uh, so if we go back to one of my examples up top, um, there was the thing about the pie topping crumbling, um, topping crumbles easily. That's a nice change in state. I mean, you might say the window shattered easily and note that all of these are taking an adverb, like the, the, the topping crumbles readily, the window shatters easily. Those are all adverbs. Um, but you don't need to modify them at all. You could say the window shattered and that's a complete sentence, um, you might not have a true subject in there. There's a grammatical subject, the window again, but uh, the 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 actor um, is obscured by that third way type sentence. Um, so anyway, a change in state is what Brian Garner uh, says generally when you're when you're setting things up in this third way, this middle way. That's what you're describing. Beth Levin, who is the author of a 1993 book called English Verb Classes and Alternations, uh, which is quoted in that language log post, um, offers that there are a different class of verbs uh, that that can be used in this, this way. And she calls them stimulus subject perception verbs and lists the following. Taste, look, feel, smell, and sound. So whenever you have a sentence involving one of those verbs, like in my example up top, Mike smelled bad after hockey, um, that's what's going on there. It's not really a change in state. I mean, I could permanently smell bad. You could just have Mike smelled bad. Mike smells bad, you know, um, and that's still the same third way kind of sentence, uh, but it's not really a change in state. Instead, it's one of these stimulus subject perception verbs. Um and if you hold that in mind for just a second, we'll come back to that. Uh, Mental Floss, the Mental Floss article from just after that, built on that to, to add a type of verb to the list um, where, where this voice comes into play. And that's what it calls gestalt verbs. Um, this is a little harder to describe, but basically the post was looking back to that Top Chef incident, Top Chef gate, as we've called it. Um... And saying that when 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 Padma describes a dish as it eats salty, she's basically doing the same thing as saying it tastes salty. So eats is functioning in the same way. It's a lot like tastes in that example. Um, so a stimulus subject perception verb. But it's not. That's not really all she's saying. She's not saying just that it tastes salty, that the food tastes salty, but. And I'm quoting from the Mental Floss article here that she's providing, quote, a wider range of eating related sensation than taste, texture, chewiness, mouthfeel, or even the physical strategy for eating. Uh, which I think is is a really great description of what she's doing there. I mean, she's not just saying that the food itself has a salty flavor or taste. She's saying she's conveying more about the, the whole experience of dining on this dish. Uh, which I think is what mental floss is getting at when it uses the word gestalt. Um, as ever, German giving us a, a nice term for the, the <laughs> full effect of something, the full experiential effect. The organized
1: uh, so whole. That That's so clever. I
0: like that. Yeah, yeah. hear this in memory from before this became fashionable before beer tastings and stuff like mm-hmm. sort of actually like mid-Atlantic and moving further south like I've heard a house described like it sits real good like is that the same same thing? Yeah, yeah it could be um, and uh, there's a lot of that kind of slippage in verb use happening I mean as soon as you said southern that's that's where I'm going with this like I, I don't think this is quite an example of that mediopassive voice, but just to give another example of slippage in verb function, you'll hear Southerners do things like um, instead of saying that someone taught you something, you'll, you'll hear them say he learned you. Yeah. no oh, will wait, you wait. well I, I mean i have <laughs> maybe you haven't ryan but i i, 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 I you know, we
1: grew up in the same place i heard a lot of things but i i, I ain't heard that
0: <laughs> i'm not sure i'm not sure i've heard it in salisbury but i you know. think if you go you learn him like something i mean maybe
1: mark twain and there's a yeah
0: yeah Oh, exactly. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying it happened where we grew up or in the right. time that we grew up, but I think if I think that exists uh, maybe in the deeper south and maybe if you turn the clock back a little bit. Um, but yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I want to go, go to the we south were... <laughs> with you and see how disappointed you'll be. <laughs> oh, I think I'll, I think I'll have a good old time in the south. It's
1: like everybody sounds like a friends episode. It's just <laughs> <laughs> We should do that. We should go on the road and do like town halls.
0: A field trip. Oh God. (laughs) That would be such, such good fodder for this show. I mean, yeah, we could have a field day. Um, so I don't think we've answered the question. We haven't quite anyway answered the question that we were seeking to answer up top, which is why that example I gave doesn't sound right, which was the cider drinks crisp and dry. Um, I don't think it's far off from sounding right if you're you're sort of going from the, the top chef example where um, you can have a dish eating a certain way uh, and that's referring oh, and, and, to. And from
1: wine tastings, people say, you know, um, the, the wine drinks easy or, you know, the, I, so I feel like that's. Uh,
0: yeah. Or or yeah. like the wine finishes a certain way right and, which is the same kind of use um so i i think that we're getting to the point where this wouldn't quite sound that unnatural but maybe we're not quite there yet it's still it still strikes us as a, an unusual and maybe slightly novel use or ryan like I think you were pointing to earlier jargony and kind of yeah irroxy, and i was reading it trendy. uncharitably
1: so the cider drinks crisp and dry like you can actually make it sound fine uh it's just the one out of those original four that kind of popped out as not being as clear.
0: I I agree. Yeah. And it sounds, I mean, even if we accept it as a, you know, a, a passable sentence, I think we might regard it as sounding like something put out by a, like a retail group or a, like yeah. a beverage, the beverage. No, it's a, it's a little marketing. Involved. It's
1: got a marketing vibe to exactly. it. It's good. It's good exactly. marketing copy, you know?
0: yeah yeah it made me Um, want that cider (laughs) god i should switch careers then i mean this is (laughs) this stuff just comes comes right out of me um but yeah it's uh, toasted (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah oh god we gotta have a good mad men drop in here but everybody else's tobacco is toasted no everybody else's tobacco is poisonous lucky strikes is toasted is toasted. I get it. So I think I think that is going a long way to explaining why it had that clanging effect, uh, where you're you're kind of cluing into a slightly new use that sh- that registers as commercial ease or trendy or jargony, um, not quite passing the test of sounding just everyday natural um, to us. Uh, to drill down a little farther into why um, or when these things don't strike us as acceptable or passable, Garner says that sometimes I'm quoting here. Sometimes writers ill-advisedly give transitive verbs intransitive uses as if the verbs were ergative. So this is why I wanted to to make clear that all of these uses were intransitive. Um, because he goes on to give examples of where writers have erred. Um, one of his examples from the Austin American Statesman is, even the infamous could redeem were Jesus here, Book says. The problem there is the word redeem. So even the infamous could redeem. That's It's trying to be one of these middle voice uses. What it really wants to say is even the infamous could be redeemed. Um, so if you want to get down into technically what's wrong with this, it's that the writer was trying or the headline writer, maybe this looks like a headline to me, um, was trying to use the word redeem as if it were transitive, uh, or I'm sorry, as if it were intransitive when in fact it's only purely transitive. Um, another example he gives of a misuse involves the, the word peak and that's P I Q U E here, um, and it's Anderson was impressed with Weisskopf's attitude. And when others are called to sing the praises of Loch Lamond, Anderson's interest peaked. That word peaked is only transitive. Something has to peak your interest. Uh, you can put that in passive voice. Your interest could be peaked, but that's still a transitive use. So where this example goes wrong is it tries to use it intransitively, it tries to use the, this word peak as if it is objectless your interest peaked and that's kind of a miscue um, something has to peak your interest at which point your interest is peaked um, so you need that additional word in there oh
1: you'll the high road and i'll
0: the low. i'll be in scotland Money banks all along. I had a I had a feeling when I picked this example from Garner's reference book that that uh, as soon as I mentioned the lock, I was going to have Amanda telling us <laughs> telling us more about it. Yeah. So things like that, uh, maybe in the future, will will come around to seeing peak as a verb that can be used intransitively and lends itself to this middle voice, but we're not quite there yet. And it, it, um, at least to fuss pots like Garner and, and me, uh, it'll, it'll kind of hit the ear in a weird way.
1: I feel like I've, I've, I've heard that exact example
0: though. I've like his, his interest peaked. Yeah. Yeah. And Garner brings up that with that particular word, people might, there, there might be some overlap with the some overlap with the other peak P E A K, or one of the other peaks. There are actually more homonyms there, um, or homophones. Anyway, um, where your if your interest is peaked, then it's at its well, peak P-E-A-K. Well, I don't think anybody order- ever
1: people don't use that. Interest peaked, <laughs> like.
0: Well, I mean, you, but you could say interest yeah. peaked when, like, interest in the Kansas City Chiefs peaked, peaked when Travis Kelce started dating Travis. Right. Yeah, yeah. Taylor Swift. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, a, that's the first time I ever heard of them. Yeah, so maybe I'm maybe I'm kind of grasping for that one, yeah. but I I do think that his that Garner's point is well taken there that there you're there could be some slippage between these two different differently spelled but um, you know, identically pronounced verbs. Peak. I don't I know think if Beth, that's... I think
1: Beth Levin was onto something in '93, and uh, you know, uh, he's got Garner's got to catch up.
0: Uh, I think both of them, Garner and his change in state, and Levin and her stimulus subject perception. I think those only cover a certain percentage of uses, and then you need that mental floss article to to complete the picture, where you have that experiential gestalt you know, the car drives nicely type use. I think we see a lot of that. The guitar plays beautifully, you know, it's not the guitar playing. It's it's someone who is obscured playing the guitar. Um, but that's neither the change in state. The guitar is not changing there, nor is it the stimulus subject perception. The guitar has nothing to do with the taste, the look, a feel. It's It's that gestalt, case the 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 experience of playing guitar there is what is said to be nice um and whoever's playing the guitar is treated to this nice experience so you have to you have to expand the field even more and consider what mental floss is identifying there um in wrapping your head around what kind of sentence that is you know um so I think, I think we need all of those sources, uh, Garner, Levin, and that Mental Floss article to really cover the full, full range of what this type of sentence can do. So I think we've, we've gone over why you'd want to avoid this, um, which is again, just to quote Brian Garner, they can, when he says they, he's talking about these types of verbs used in this way. They can give prose a voguish trendy tone as in that jacket wears nicely on you or else a tone of commercial ease as in the books shipped yesterday. Now I think garner's reference book that i have is a little bit older um i think that last example actually sounds fine to me like the the package shipped yesterday um it's definitely an example of this that that third way somewhere between active and passive but it doesn't strike me as something to be avoided because it sounds too much like commercial ease I no but this, this his second example definitely sounds commercial ease you want to read that one
1: Sorry, your flight canceled.
0: (laughs) I I agree. I think so, too. I I I think that sounds it sounds really unnatural. You'd want to and to correct this. What would you do, Ryan? Uh,
1: Sorry, your flight is
0: canceled. Yeah. Or was canceled. Yeah. You just need that. You need to throw it into that um, that passive, more purely passive sounding construction. Your flight Mm -hmm. was canceled. Note again that if an airline is telling you that or a ticket agent is telling you that, they're phrasing it in the passive voice because they want to obscure who did the canceling. So you're you're never you're never going to hear "Sorry, Delta canceled your flight." You know you're going to hear "Sorry, your flight that flight was canceled." Just right. a good example of when someone is going to naturally shift into the passive construction so as to avoid blame. You know, what about the dude abides? <laughs> um, the dude abides. Yeah, I'd have to. I mean, abide is a transitive word because you can abide something. You know what this is from? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. It's big okay. Lebowski. Yeah. yeah. It's a great, great use do- of language.
1: Yeah. Very ahead of its time, the to abides. To
0: it really yeah. is. Yeah. You know, I, I caught that recently. I don't know if it was on cable or Kim it, uh, it was watching it or something, but uh, I noticed for the first time in a long time, or uh, for, I noticed for the first time that. He, when he quotes uh, George Bush, George H.W. Bush, I just never noticed that before. Early in the movie, he's at the supermarket and he's he overhears on a radio or maybe one of the cashiers has a small TV. Um, he overhears George H.W. Bush talking about the the first Iraq war. All for collective action. This will not stand. This will not stand this aggression against uh, Kuwait. And I never noticed that later in the movie... Uh, Jeff Bridges, the dude. I don't know what he's talking about, but this he, aggression he just, won't stand, man. This will not stand. You know, this aggression will not stand, man. This won't stand, man. Yeah, <laughs> I just I never noticed that, that before. I mean, I remember him saying that, but I didn't. I didn't know that it was this conscious or semi-conscious call back yeah. to George Bush. It was after
1: yeah. the after the rug gets peed on. He is said, that what it is? This won't stand, <laughs> this man. <aggression laughs> <will not> stand. <laughs>
0: But it's so great. It's just this Uh, thing that he's like heard that kind of maybe didn't even register when he was, you know, shopping for ingredients for a white Russian at the supermarket. And then it comes out later in this kind of like dumb unthinking way. It's just great. I mean, it's just a, a great thing that I never noticed until recently. Um, I wanted to just briefly in, in wrapping this episode up, uh, touch on why you might embrace this middle voice. Um, like I I don't want to give the impression that this is something that's always to be avoided in careful and carefully edited prose Um, because it's not. I mean, this, this one great thing about verbs like this, these ergative verbs is that they're hugely um, um, adaptable. Um, You can do a lot with them. I think it just underlines how flexible this language can be. And if you have, a, a verb that hasn't been used like that—that that people aren't used to seeing used in this way—it could have a novel effect. Um, y- you know, one of Garner gives this as a as a bad example, an example of misuse. Um, but I actually kind of like it. He he has the example of a bad habit broke, um, where that's. It's unusual, you know, I, I don't think we'd read that. And I, th- I think you'd be likely to be stopped up by it if you came across that sentence in the wild. But I think there's something kind of inadvertently poetic about that. Um, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I do, I too. Like that. Uh, and there's also the title of that Modest Mouse song from years and years ago, college album for me. Uh, but there was a song they had called Ocean Breathes Salty. Uh, that kind of can only be read in this third way. Like if you were to breathe in ocean water, it probably would be a salty overall gestalt effect. Um, so that there's another kind of poetic use of, the of, in this case, the verb breathe. Uh, so there's a novel effect it could have. Um, and then again, there, there are times that it's just purely in order. Um, it might be the device that you can deploy to, to best um, meet the ends that you're setting out for yourself as a writer. Uh, Garner says that it may be a device to hide the actor. So if you're you're deliberately trying to obscure the actor of the sentence as in something like the rumor spread quickly throughout the office, um, you know, you're trying to hide who it is that spread the rumor, um, then this third way might be in order or to create mystery, like the door slams shut behind them. I'm thinking of like Shirley Jackson or someone like that here. Uh, obviously the door is not able to slam anything. Uh, so this is an example of that, that middle voice, um, where the, the actor of the sentence is obscured, who's doing the slamming, but there, you have the, the, the door as the ostensible subject of the sentence, I guess. And it lends it that air of mystery. Um, so there, all of which is to say, there are times where we can embrace and happily deploy the middle voice, but to be, I you know, I guess to be just slightly cautious with it because you don't want to end up in that totally marketing, commercialese register, or at least we don't as uh, as prose writers of non-commercial copy. <laughs>
1: So. And maybe we'll get lucky and we'll love
0: it well, it listens well this episode it is. listens <laughs> well <Yeah. laughs> that's great <laughs> you know um that just reminded me ryan i meant to bring this up uh the mental floss article that comes up with that gestalt idea ends with a little play uh In our current atmosphere of foodie culture, where people read about food, watch TV shows about food, and obsess about food in a way that doesn't necessarily entail that they will actually be tasting that food, it's probably a handy thing to have a compact way to express, here's what the experience of eating this is like. If it reads a bit strange, so be it. So that last sentence is doing exactly what you just did, Ryan, where it's using that middle voice and having having a little bit of fun with it as uh. a kicker to the article. So if it reads a bit strained, you know, that's a great example of this middle voice um, where that there's a reader there who is not who is obscured by the sentence. Um, a sentence itself can't read. Obviously, um, you're reading it. So if it reads a bit strange, so be it, is a lovely example of this middle voice. And kudos to the writer of the Mental Floss article, who I should probably name by name. And it is Erica Ukrent. And I hope I've said that right. Uh, but that's all I've got for this week. I'm Ryan Davis. And I'm Mike Laws. Still Mike Laws. And this and is this Red is Pen. Red Pen. A grammar podcast. Red Pen is brought to you by the Columbia Journalism Review and is Mike Laws, my fabulous co host and good buddy, Ryan J. Davis, and super producer, Amanda Derrick. So, everybody, uh, listen and subscribe wherever you listen to
1: podcasts uh, and leave questions for Mike on grammar uh, right on the Apple Podcast app, and we can uh, respond to those in a future
0: episode.